welcome to the Legal Moves Podcast. This is Zachary Strebeck. I am your host and the resident game lawyer. And today we are talking to game developers Hakan Sayalioglu. Now, you know what? I let me let me back up for a second. Uh, this is the second time we're recording this episode because the first time my microphone was completely messed up and, and didn't record my audio. So I messed up Hakan's name the first time and I am messing it up again. <laughs> so please introduce yourself. This time was perfect. <laughs> and, you know, there's no way that was perfect because when you say it, it sounds totally different than what I said. Please, please. Uh, can okay. I say it? We, we can accept okay. yours as canon from now on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Salio <laughs> Okay. Good. Uh, and that is Catherine Himes. Also, uh, both of you are from Thorny Games, correct? Yes. All right. That is well, us. Wel- welcome to both of you. Thank you. All yes. Right. Thank you for having us. So generally, I start these off with talking about what your background is. So where are you from, both geographically and uh, professionally, I guess, and what got you into the games industry? Hakan, let's start with you. Totally. Uh, so I've, you know, been a lifelong gamer, as uh, many designers, I think, are. Um, but uh, my background is uh, I studied math for a very, very long time. Um, I got a PhD from UCLA, and then I came to Silicon Valley as a software engineer. I did cryptography specifically in graduate school. Uh, after that, I really got into like the board game and RPG scene up here and just discovered this new art form that people were doing really, really exciting things with. And uh, within the last uh, year to year and a half, uh, Kate and I together have been um, working on our own designs and really trying to make something special. Excellent. And we'll get into what specifically you're designing and how it is special as we go forward. Uh, Catherine, tell me about you. Yeah. Hey, um, I am originally from Los Angeles. Um, I work as a product manager by day. Um, my path was also through math, but also linguistics. So I studied computational linguistics in graduate school, um, but then ended up in the Silicon Valley uh, where I build technology. Um, but by night, uh, I spend uh, the vast majority of my time with games, game playing, game design. Um, my my earliest gaming was like Star Wars West End RPG, and uh, and then it kind of morphed into board games, which was like a long love affair of 10 years. And then in the last few years, I also have come to really uh, love and cherish the, the story games, uh, indie RPG movement. Um, and that's really where I spend a lot of my gaming time now. Excellent. Um, so what, well, where do I want to start this? Uh, what drove you into, into publishing your own games and starting your own company? Yeah, um, I, I can take that one. Um, sure. the, uh, um, I feel like uh, part of it was, like, one, just a long, long-time passion for the hobby. Mm. Um, really, uh, board games, you can... I, I, I wish you could see a picture of uh, our mutual collection. It's <laughs> it's pretty big, uh, I have to say, as, as people who have been in the hobby for a long time. Uh, it just kind of happens to you. Um, and uh, and it just was just something that kind of ate up more and more of, of my free time and, uh, and our free time together. Um, it's also a really awesome time for board games. Like, it's just such an innovative, interesting time. Like, things are coming out all of the time, and it Equally for board games, the, the same thing for um, for story games and RPG. Uh, and uh, I think I and Hakan both had a, a hunger to really kind of make something. Um, we've been part of the playtesting community in the San Francisco Bay Area for a while. And uh, so we know a lot of game designers. And 
after you know a lot of game designers um, and they know how passionate you are about it, they begin to kind of poke you and go like, so when is your game happening? When are you bringing your game to the next playtest event? And eventually we just had to make good on that. Excellent. Absolutely. And uh, some words on why, like, we decided to publish ourselves, too, and really why we decided that we had to make our game. Um, Both of our games are really, I think, coming at uh, a lot of the problems and, like, interesting aspects of role-playing and gaming in general from a pretty unique perspective, in particular around uh, language and linguistics and a lot of... um, stuff that isn't very common uh, in the hobby so far. And given that we really wanted to like blaze a new trail there, we felt like we wanted to tell that story um, and we wanted to handle how it would actually get there and how people would be receiving this really new experience. So that's why it was really important to us to, to make sure that we were making it too. Very cool. So why don't you tell me about the games that you've published and just explain them and how they're different, I guess, from someone like me who plays, you know, tabletop, regular board game type games. <laughs> and uh, I'm not so much into the RPG and the story games. So when I saw your games being uh, demonstrated at the Proto Spiel in San Jose, uh, it was very interesting. So can you sort of describe your, your two games? Absolutely. I'd be happy to. Um, so our first game, which is... Uh, freely available from our website, but we're also um, in the process of publishing a version of it, uh, is Sign. Uh, Sign is a game about being understood, and it's about communication and coming together without communication, told through this true story of the emergence of Nicaraguan sign language. Uh, it's a live-action game mm-hmm. uh, where players uh, create an emergence, like, proto-language together, so it's nothing that's uh, as expressive as a full language, but they come together, they define terms that are important to them and their characters, and they build this, you know, um, really kind of the baby steps towards the language together. And by the end, they're able to communicate much deeper emotional things than they started the game with. And, you know, it can be quite a emotional experience for players who come in really hitting that roadblock of not being able to say anything together. And by the end of the game, they have this little language together, right? Um, so that's our first one, that's sign. And that's, uh, fully readily available um, on our website. And uh, the second one that we're in the process of developing is uh, Dialect. And Dialect is a tabletop RPG where we tell the story of a community in isolation by how their language grows and develops and how it evolves. Uh, So over the course of the game, we define what's important to this community, we define what makes them them, and then we let them stew in that over the course of the game and see how that affects their language. Um, So... The community, uh, we embody characters within the community and have conversations. And then as things happen to them, we see how their language initially evolved. We see how it changes. And at the end, we see how it dies. Very cool. So uh, is this what you call, I think on your website, you meant you call it crypto-linguistic game design. Is that is that what you're, <laughs> what you're talking about, uh, Catherine? Yeah, yeah, yes. I think, um, I think that is what we were talking about. We mean that. Um, mm-hmm. When I hear cryptolinguistic game design, I kind of think like secret society of cryptographers and linguists, or at least that's that's kind of what I would hope to think. Um, it's like the holy grail of whatever that kind of secret society would would follow. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think for us, what it really means is just kind of like you know, each of us come individually with these like pretty deep passions. Mine being much more about like linguistics and mm-hmm. computational linguistics, and language is this crazy thing that 
um, like is fundamentally what makes us human and, and is, uh, just a really interesting like lens to view identity. And it's also super fun. And then Pecan comes with, with the cryptography and then like smashing those two interests together, um, just makes a lot of interesting gameplay. Um, and, and what we've found that's really exciting is that it's really an interesting kind of tool for for a game designer both the the code aspect and the um and the language aspect and so a lot of our games so far have have explored um language and why why it's fun and why why it's interesting and why humans are so damn good at it so yeah when you design these games are you designing them with the uh the goal being for the player to have fun or to learn something or to I, i don't know what what's the goal when you're designing a game like this totally yeah, um, I'll, I'll take a stab at this one. Um, the uh, I think like by far the the primary goal is to have fun, and okay. and that is um, and that's what we see, uh, um, and and that and that is awesome. And I think that um, especially like with some of our games that are around like kind of building these languages and constructing them together, it is mm-hmm. actually just super fun for people. It's like that they've like one like they're excellent at it, and it's like they've made this this secret language that's very special to that like instance of people at the table. Um, so it's like a very like special kind of moment in time and right. like a, an interesting artifact to play. Um, but then uh, on top of that, it, it also is just a really interesting way of exploring like kind of real world phenomena. And people do like as a side effect of, of uh, playing these games kind of ask themselves maybe deeper questions about like right. language and how it works and all of that good stuff. So I, I see that as being, um, both like both hand in hand uh, goals for for us, and also I'd say like telling stories um, that that really haven't that haven't been focused on in uh, in the gaming community so far, um, and uh, and that is just sort of a, a unique voice and spin that um that that we can give. Yeah, and just to build on one thing that uh, Kate brought up a little earlier, mm-hmm. um, the the notion that we really want people to uh, be exposed to the magic which is language right and really develop this appreciation for it and develop have respect for just how amazing we are when it comes to it we hope that that's something that comes through in our games um we hope that people really have appreciate this incredible thing that we do in a lot of ways you know just speaking to you is the most impressive thing i will do all day uh, and i don't appreciate it at all yeah right uh and so we hope that that is communicated through our design. All you got to do is try and get a computer to do it, and then you realize just how how crazy complicated it actually is. Yeah, I can't even imagine. <laughs> Being a lawyer is pretty easy, I think, compared to crypto or, excuse me, <laughs> machine, <laughs> machine computational linguistics. I think that was a, Nah, I think there's lots of magic that comes to lawyering, too. Yeah, so you do the lawyering magic. I'll do the computational right. linguistics. I mean, sounds good. Lawyering has its own complete language, right? It, like It, uh, it does, yeah. <laughs> you say that so affectionately. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I find that sometimes it's it's an effective way to teach someone something is by sort of disguising it or hiding it within the fun, right? It sounds like uh, totally this, this kind of does that. When when players play your games, is it more of a directed experience? Are they going through certain steps? Because uh, you know, when you when you jump into the game and it's like, okay, well, you can't talk to each other. You have to develop a sign language. How do you do that within a game? I guess is my question. Do you have to tell them step by step how they should progress through the game, or is it sort of free flowing? Totally, yeah. Um, I would 
I would say that, um, uh, yeah, so the, the way that this, this game works and that this kind of genre game works is that usually there's a facilitator. Um, these okay. games are almost like, um, the GM list is kind of the term in the sense that like you can also facilitate and play. Okay. Um, and, uh, and that's exciting too, because then you don't, you know, you, you know, everyone can kind of like be in on the fun. Right. Um, and yeah, there are definitely like clear steps and rules that you follow as you get from, from point to point and like, you know, the, how you incrementally build up this language among, um, the set of people. But, uh, but yeah. And that in particular with sign, uh, with our live action game, that was, something that was really interesting to tackle because as far as live action games go, they can often be very, very freeform. Uh, you know, this is who you are. This is who your relationships are. And let's right. just, you know, see what sparks fly over the next three hours. Um, with something where you're really trying to have this language development and you have places where like, okay, this is the period at which we decide what words are important for us and what we're going to call them. That requires a lot more structure. So it did, require us kind of to to incorporate a lot of what we had learned and observed in more like tabletop rpg settings and incorporate them into that medium as well very right, cool so why besides professionally uh why are these kinds of games so fascinating for the both of you are you, is it because you're primarily storytellers or rpg gamers is that is that sort of your your focus um, well, speaking for, for me, like it's definitely, definitely the story is, mm-hmm. is what, what kind of gets me going. I would say like, I mean, I, again, like I have been a long, long time board gamer and, um, and I like, you know, kind of deep strategy, heavy board games. Um, I'd say like twilight struggle is my, you know, be all end all when it comes to that. I've played many, many a game of that. Um, but, um, I think even part of like what, what I love in board games is the story they bring out. Like when I think about twilight struggle, like I feel like I am living the cold war and, uh, and that is, uh, that's part of what makes it so interesting. And, um, there's a lot of games, uh, board games even now, um, that are coming out that are really like focusing on like the juicy narrative bits of, of play. Um, and I think people are really, are really eating it up. Um, like you think about, um, pandemic legacy and Mm -hmm. kind of like the, the character elements that, that they build in and like the story elements there or, or games like time stories, um, Mm -hmm. which is like all about like story that you're enjoying, you know, with your friends at, at the table, but in, you know, kind of board game tabletop form like that, that's just really fun. And so I feel like that's happening already in the board gaming community. And, um, if you buy into that and if that's your jam, then man, you can go really hard into that with, uh, with story games and RPG and like this indie RPG movement that, that is really focusing on like just telling like interesting, compelling stories with, with groups of people. And, and it just kind of, like alights your brain in this totally different way um, than than what other you know other forms of play and game do. So um, yeah. that's really drives me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that the story is a huge uh, huge driver for us. Another thing that really I think brings us to focus on language a lot in our games is I think as a player of a game, the one of the best feelings that I can ever have is when I've amazed myself in some way. Like, I can't believe I came up with a story. I can't believe I juggled all those different, like, resource economies and cogs in this machine together in my brain and created this thing incredible. Um, And with language, it kind of, it always happens when you see players at the end of some of our games and they're, like, really communicating complex things and, like, 
defining variants on the fly of existing things that they've done before. And then they just take a step back and they're like, wow, I'm amazed my brain accomplished that. Uh, That's a really satisfying point for me. And so that like feeling of wonder at what's just dormant inside your head is really what drives uh, is another really big driving factor in terms of like why we pursue this line of game design, I think. Great. Yeah. uh, You you mentioned pandemic legacy and, and I, was thinking earlier when you were talking about sort of coming up with a story for within your group uh, or your own shared language or something. Uh, when I played, I've played three Risk Legacy campaigns, and each of them was very different. And yeah, well, you really, you really wow. kind of build your own world and everything, and it's pre- it's pretty awesome. I don't know that kind of. I, I want more of that, and so maybe that means that I should be going into more of these indie RPGs and <laughs> storytelling games. Oh man, yeah, love yeah. to have you. <laughs> well. With my lifestyle, it's hard to we'll play something online at some point. Yeah, okay, all right. Yeah, that I'm sure we have a good, good three idea. hours of overlap between uh, <laughs> whatever time zone you're in. Exactly. Um, maybe at Gen Con this year. So we'll, yeah, we'll get totally. to that later. Totally. Uh, we'll, that's, we'll talk that's all a about Gen fantastic Con. idea. Yeah. Oh, that's like a great challenge. I'm going to take that as a personal challenge. Which is, uh, can can we? give you a great RPG like story game experience at Gen Con. Um, I think you can. I'm up to that challenge. Yes. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Oh, yeah. so, the, the indie games on demand scene is wonderful at Gen Con. So if you ever have like four hours to, to that, you don't know what to do with, which probably will be unusual for the schedule that I've heard from you, Zach, but indie <laughs> games on demand is a great place to just okay. go and try out these check it out. Yeah. Like, amazing games. Cool. Um, so what is the industry like for these kind of games? Is there, is there an industry? I, there's a lot of talk of indie, but, uh, in the published and sort of serious business side of things, uh, is there, is there a big industry for these kind of games, storytelling games? There's more of a budding one, I think okay. at the moment. Uh, certainly there are a lot of games that uh, have gotten a good amount of traction and that you can find pretty readily at mm-hmm. most board gaming stores. Um, but the vast majority of things that are published are still very, very much people who are doing it themselves, who are really passionate about it, and who just want to get it out there. Right. Um, not a lot of people are making a living off of this right now. Right? Um, and a lot of things, people just want to get out there so much that you know they distributing PDFs or selling PDFs through like drive-through RPG are very, yep. very, very common. Um, and it's just the thing that like makes it most accessible. Uh, it's the thing that gets it out to as many people as possible and gets it played and really spreads the hobby as well as your game in particular. Right. Do you think there's like a, a tipping point that might happen yeah. where they become sort of mainstream or more mainstream, I guess? Um, yes, oh, I, I am. Uh, oh, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. There was, oh, okay. there was no sound right. for a little bit. So we're good. Oh, okay, no worries, no worries. Um, yeah, ghost in the machine, I guess. Um, but um, the uh, um, I yes, I think that uh, I think that these games um, are like slightly behind the wave of board games when it comes to you know mainstreamedness. But yeah. um, but I think that they're coming. Um, you can look at like like uh, the most recent uh, I think season of Tabletop mm-hmm. and and like the the slate. Uh, indie rpg that they have planned there um it's it's pretty substantive and meaty and exciting um for a lot of people in that community um yeah i I think that that a lot of people are hungry for this and even when i just you know base it by by my by my friends and people i know like i i have um i'm in a like a a D &D group with Mm -hmm. a bunch of kind of like unlikely 
you know, D&D folks, yeah. and they know a bunch of other people who have their own campaigns going. Um, yeah. And like, you know, to you, you just would never have guessed by looking at, you know, their, you know, their stats on a, on a sheet of paper that this is their jam. But, um, but, but it is now. So I, I feel like it. The thing that fascinates me the most is I, I never, this is something I never would have thought would happen, but there are like podcasts and video podcasts of people just like you watch people play Dungeons and Dragons and games like that. It's just, uh, when I was a young nerdy kid playing Dungeons and Dragons and being like basically ostracized from the rest of the uh, society, uh, I, I just never imagined it would be something like that that would be so popular. It's so awesome. Oh, like yeah. It's, it's the internet or whatever, or just the gaming community that's made it okay uh, to do this. But it's just, it fascinates me. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a new world order. Like, yep. people, like, you know, have Twitch streams of themselves just playing, yeah. uh, like, tons of role-playing games, like, you know, D&D, Pathfinder, like, all of this awesome indie stuff. There's, like, a lot of actual play online and that's really useful as someone who's like interested in these games but maybe is not like tapped in with the community because you yeah. can totally go online and actually just see how something is played um yeah. and i mean i do the same thing with board games right like if i don't want to you know read the rule set um if you watch then... someone play it exactly yeah that's always been kind of an achilles heel with a lot of new rpg systems is that they really spread by being taught in person by someone right uh it's much easier to learn a board game by the rule sheet um then i think it is to get the feeling and overall vibe of an rpg right. that really like you try to capture in it and these online sessions are really breaking through that and just spreading it like wildfire i was always kind of a terrible dungeon master when i would play uh <laughs> we played a few different games like uh, the star wars rpg that you you mentioned earlier and uh so various dungeons and dragons the variations but I don't think I was ever good. I think that the beauty of this is now I can go online and watch someone who's like actually a good dungeon master and, and try to emulate them. But back then I had no idea. I was the one guy who even wanted to attempt it in my group. So uh, just amazing. I don't know. As an older guy, I'm 37. <laughs> stuff like this just fascinates me. And, and yeah. how my life would have been different. Well, I don't know. Uh, going back, you know, 25 years or whatever when I was playing this stuff. Oh yeah, think about that every day. How we were. <laughs> yep. ended up different if we were children today. Yep. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know. Whatever. You kids out there listening, I don't know what the age range of this <laughs> audience is. Probably not. That's a skew young. But you kids out there, you don't know how good you got it. Exactly. You. Yeah. So uh, let's talk about playtesting because actually, I met you guys at Protospiel San Jose 2016 uh, a couple months ago. Now, um, you were playtesting. Actually, it didn't, I don't think you were a playtesting game, right? You just sort of had the results of the game out there for dialect. Yeah, we were yeah. demoing. Um, yeah, okay. I think it was a, it was definitely a playtest event, a little more geared towards board games, and yeah. uh, and then I think the appetite of people is usually like ten to fifteen minutes, and yeah. so that's about enough time for a demo. Okay. So. Yeah, we uh, we got a lot of playtesting in at Kublacon last week. Uh, very um, cool. But we really needed like full sessions of like three to four hours to right. get what we were looking for. And uh, the general group coming to Protospiel, and it was a great event, uh, was um, you know, mainly people coming for board games. Uh, so it wasn't quite, you know, we would have been not giving them exactly what they had come for <laughs> if we were yeah. having them play pool games. Yeah. So uh, what is the process like for, for playtesting your games? Tell me, from, from inception of the design to when do you start testing it for, with outside people, how, how does that work? How come? Uh, well, first you find people you really, really trust, right? Mm -hmm. And who you 
feel like are going to be okay with uh, you know, working with you through some very, very clunky versions, or at least that's like where I come at it from. Uh, I feel like the earliest versions I really need to be in an environment of trust for. And um, thankfully, we have a group uh, in the San Francisco Bay Area that's been absolutely wonderful and uh, have been really, really nourishing of each other's ideas. Um, so that's where we first started. Like when we first started with dialect, it was in a very rough, uh, rough version where we had the core idea, but we really had to refine a lot of things around it. After having done some playtesting like that, we um, generally just were able to expand it past that. We were able to find that we people who we hadn't met before, mm-hmm. um, we were able to really um, start communicating with other uh, like non-local designers, too, and getting their opinions. We went to a lot of conventions and showed, even from a very early stage, uh, showed designers from across the country what we were working with. Um, and that was a really great experience for us. Like, uh, it both let us meet these wonderful people and have them look at our game and really give us incredibly like nuanced and thoughtful feedback, uh, which we incorporated in. Um, and and it was super encouraging. Awesome. Absolutely. And really the, the most difficult, Oh, sorry. I have to get the cat off the fish thing. (laughs) No problem. Um, Would you want to take it from your case? Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cat hazards as they go. Um, the, uh, um, yeah, so uh, definitely like the the conference uh, the conference scene was really really helpful in in refining the game and also just kind of tapping into the larger community of game designers. Um, it also uh, we also needed to kind of find the right community of people online, like where they live online. Um, like uh, for board games, I found like I don't know, like I found things on Facebook and. Twitter. Um, but, uh, for the indie RPG scene, um, there is an especially great group on Google plus and on, um, other like smaller forums online. Um, and so that's really been a great home for connecting with people who don't live close to you, but who are like really involved and passionate and like just thoughtful, awesome people. Um, and so there's that. And then there's just like the, the kind of route, uh, and like sometimes drudgery of just like, you know, you have an idea, you know, you like refine the game in some way, and then you take it to a totally new set of people and you get their feedback. Um, and I would say like a lot at some point, like we've been, we've been really trying to be um, really expansive in the audience for like who, who can play these games. Like you really have to do that as a designer um, and just think about like sometimes like, you know, it's good to identify who this game is great for. Like, you know, a game might be great for like a really hardcore gamer, or maybe it's a really light party game or whatever it may be. But we really kind of wanted to take the game through, you know, through, through as many people as we could, um, who had different like gaming backgrounds. And so we, um, we really started like, uh, inviting people who had never played an RPG before, um, and like maybe had very little gaming experience in general and kind of got their take on it. And that can just be really helpful both in terms of like, um, developing the game, but also just in like, you know, uh, assumptions that you make in how you talk about the game, how you explain it, um, you know, the pitch that you give, uh, all of that kind of stuff. Um, and, and that, you know, like I have really had some of my most amazing gaming experiences in, in playtesting and, and then also some of my absolute worst. <laughs> and so, uh, it really is like the highs and lows of, uh, of the art. Um, yeah. And uh, apologies if you cover this while I was away, but one of the really interesting things I think that we found is um, with story games in particular, like the uh, the audience that you're testing with and 
how nerve wracking it is to test with that audience, uh, I think is somewhat different than board games. Like I think with a board game, the place where you'd expect to have like the worst experience while playtesting and the place you'd expect to have like the most critical response would usually be around other designers mm-hmm. and other like really experienced players who are like, okay, I bet this is how I can break the system. I bet this is like the stress points. Um, and I've just played a lot of games and I'm really discerning. Right. Um, with story games, it's funny because the the more people have played that genre, the more they can have fun uh, with a game that's not really there, right? They, uh, they're they so used to telling stories and really being entertaining and being able to build off of each other's ideas and really knowing how that process works that um, you can give them a very vague system and they might still make something really magical and have a really great experience. Um, and then when you bring it to people who've never played this genre before, um, you realize all those subtle mechanics that need to start turning in order to really help those people um, like into the hobby and into that style of play. Um, so yeah, that was, it's a very interesting thing where this audience is just the absolute most nerve wracking for me when I'm running a play test, because it's, I don't know, it's uh, it feels very different than it would in board gaming. Very interesting. Yeah, um, <clears throat> excuse me. D- this seems like the type of game, uh, when you have a board game or a card game or something, you can't really, the, one of the issues with playtesting is that they need to be a group that's all at one table and sitting yeah. there. Uh, with these more storytelling-based games, do you find it's easier to do it online through, like, Google Hangout? You said there was a Google Plus group. Maybe you can all just jump into a Google Hangout together. Totally. Is it? That seems like it would yeah. take a, a big barrier to entry off of the playtesting process. Yeah, it's a it's a great point, and yeah, there is um, actually just like whole communities of people that um, that are really into playtesting and do it over mm-hmm. Google Hangouts. We um, Hakan actually just recently led a game for of dialect. Um, it was a great game. They were like this Martian colony um, <laughs> and had an amazing story. Um, but uh, the the players were entirely dispersed i think some of them were in texas i don't know where else they were but um but yeah um it was it was a really like great play test and and as much a play test um as you would have uh people surrounding a table right? mm-hmm. yeah that was with the gauntlet podcast right uh, and uh yeah they uh they talked a little bit about the experience uh afterwards as well on their podcast how does that work because with dialect you have the all the cards and things and that the string that's in the in certain shapes, right? Mm-hmm. Pentagonal shapes yeah, yes. on, the, on the thing. Is one person in control of that? And <laughs> exactly. On that? Uh, and uh, well, what we do is, and you know, this loses a lot of the physicality, obviously, but you just do a shared Google like slides, I oh, think okay. is what the product is called huh. or a Google drawing. Google drawing. Uh, hmm. And that lets you, you know, have boxes, have boxes with text in it, draw shapes, right? And uh, for something like that, and for a lot of these uh, story games, or really, you're usually just, or in a lot of them, you're just writing words on index cards. Um, they translate really well into that environment. It's still not the same as being able to see everyone across the table and being able to like pick up on everyone's little micro expressions in that like super like you know physical tangible environment. But uh, it's it's pretty nice. It's it's Great. nice to have that option again. Technology is uh, is changing. I know. I know. You kids play testing your games <laughs> on the interwebs. 
<laughs> yeah, and it's actually it's a good point because I just was like reflecting. It's like actually most of the board gaming I do now is uh, well, a lot of it ends up being online. Still, like you know, like play battle line with myself, you know, just on my iPad. Um, uh, but uh, the um, uh, but. It, from a prototype perspective, like it would be very, very hard to do that. You'd have to put a ton of time and energy of really like making, making a, a digital prototype of, of what you're building. And that probably isn't worth the effort, but it's much easier for, for RPGs. Yeah, people have been talking about it more and more with like, uh, oh, uh, no, 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 people have been talking about it more and more with like tabletop simulator and saying like, Hey, is this something that like is good for playtesting? Could we like whip up something there and start playing it online? Um, but still, there's a really big barrier, right, to actually yeah. make those components, actually set up the environment, stuff like that. Right. Well, no. Uh, one of the one of the things that I like about tabletop gaming is that you're disconnecting from the internet. You're not looking at screens. Yeah. You're doing all that stuff, and you actually are interacting with someone face to face. So uh, it's interesting. Maybe it's just a different type of game, and it, it allows you to do that. I mean, I guess you would still preferably have a bunch of people around a table, right, to play this kind of game. Yeah. Because, as you said, there's. It's- different expressions on their faces and things like that that you can only catch face-to-face. Totally. Yeah. totally. And you get yeah. to drink a beer afterwards, yeah. after like everything's done, huh? right? Like having those moments. <laughs> Not right? during. Yeah. Or during. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes. Multiple beers. But yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, just being able to spend time with your with your friends is yeah. a huge deal. Definitely. Right? And, uh, that's what we're trying to facilitate at a fundamental level. That seems like the rare commodity these days, is uh, spending time and uh, being away from all that stuff. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah, very true. Um, okay, so let's talk about funding your games, funding the development. Now, this seems sort of like, uh, have you ever thought about running Kickstarter or anything like that to sort of get get the monetary ball rolling? Or is that not necessary maybe with this type of game? Yeah, um, I think like um, it uh, it really depends on the game's ambition, I would mm-hmm. say. Um, but um, but for us um, and uh, and for many folks who who make these like uh, indie RPGs, Kickstarter is definitely like a, a big platform for how you would fundraise and um, kind of build a community around um, the production of your game. And that's totally our intent with Dialect okay. um, uh, and Sign. Um, yep. So we're, we're planning on running a Kickstarter, um, around mid September. Um, and we're already kind of deep in preparation. Thankfully we, um, we have a lot of people we know who, uh, who have, who have done it before. And there's just like such a wealth of information online that, um, that we, uh, feel like, yeah, we feel pretty good about it. Very cool. Yeah. Uh, still a magnificently terrifying, uh, experience <laughs> moving in front of us, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, we're, we're very excited to be doing it. Very cool. So, how do you how do you market yourself? Because I know that you sort of want to build an audience before you go into Kickstarter. Uh, how how have you been marketing your company and and your games? Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, one uh, one is definitely just kind of becoming involved with the with the community um, mm-hmm. in general. I mean, that's a pleasure in and of itself. But but you know, you end up talking with a lot of people about your game and through playtesting, um, you get people who are um, excited about your game. Um, and and that's uh, that's a great way to to, to start. Um, and again, we've kind of been in the hobby for a long time. So we know a bunch of other game designers, even if they aren't um, RPG designers, but a lot of board game designers and and you know, people really are want to support each other. So that's a great place to start. But actually the thing that I found that's pretty, um, uh, that's pretty awesome. And, uh, and that works well, especially with, with our games, um, is uh, Facebook as a, as a medium for, um, 
for community building, um, or especially around people that are outside of the other communities I talked about, but like maybe they're, they're gamers and they really like language. I think especially because our games kind of really tap into like these like very different, but like kind of easily identifiable passions within people like, Oh man, I, I love games and I, I really dig language. That's like my, my, my thing. Then, um, when, when you present that to someone on Facebook, like we've got some really great response there. Um, we've, um, like you just have, you know, people that reach out to you on like, uh, the home, uh, in terms of a Facebook page or like building a community that like works itself into, um, like, uh, ongoing conversations through like email newsletters and, and stuff like that. So right. I'd say that that's a pretty, um, exciting, like community building medium, uh, for us. Yeah. I'd say that that's really something that we can lend us some amount of advice just based on our experience because our games can so succinctly, like Kate said, um, like if you like language and you like games, you'll probably want to learn more about our games. Um, like I can't say they're going to be perfect for you, but you're probably going to have your curiosity peaked and really want to learn more. Um, and that's a really nice place for us to be able to reach people from. Um, we kind of immediately have narrowed down you know, the entire like gaming audience into this right. subsection that's that we are almost certain are going to want to learn more. And uh, so if there's anything similar, like with any other games people are working on, I think that that's a really great way to, to think about the audience that you're looking to engage with. Do you find that, uh, that knowing other designers and, and getting help, do you get help from them, I guess, either by tapping into their audiences or by just getting advice from them? Yeah. Um, I'd say like, uh, advice, um, I, um, and, and some of it is like just shared audience. Like if, if someone digs, yeah. uh, digs your game, then likely, and you know, they want to, they want to tell, um, people about it, then, then it's likely that the people who are similar to them would, would be interested. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's just like a really, it's, it's a pretty awesome giving community and supportive community, um, for the most part. And that, uh, that's been, that's been really helpful. Um, especially the, uh, the indie RPG community in particular. Yeah. yeah. We really, really love the community. They've been absolutely wonderful for newcomers like us. Um, and really, really welcoming of our, both, you know, as persons and of our ideas. Great. But it sounds like this is something you guys enjoy, and I, but I think it's something that most developers, maybe not most, but a lot of, uh, are deathly afraid of, right. Of networking with other people and, sort of having to become a brand in themselves and, and connect with fans and do all that stuff. I know that for me, it was difficult in the beginning, you know, because I'm yeah. like, who am I? Why does anyone want to hear from me? But yeah. <laughs> you really got to get over that if you want to get into business and, and be successful, I guess. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely understand the, the, like the trepidation and kind of, you know, like just a little wariness around it, but like kind of the coolest thing as a designer is seeing someone else like really, dig your stuff right. and enjoy your game. And like, that's just a necessary part then of like, yep. of, of that process. And yeah. Uh, yeah. If you yeah, can't get it out there, see, then you're, you're like, never going to enjoy it. Oh yeah. Whenever we see someone uh, on Facebook, sharing our page with a friend then going like, Holy crap, you have to see this. Like that is the best feeling. Yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe, well, actually maybe second best to someone who just played our game and was like, <laughs> that's an amazing experience. I will tell all my friends. Right. Uh, that's a better experience probably but runner up would be that like uh you know this seems really exciting to me and i want you to know about it because um i think this will also really excite you yeah 
What about having a, a blog on your website? Uh, do you find that that, that provides a lot of engagement or uh, getting your posts shared or anything like that? Or is that maybe not your primary focus? It, um, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's something that hasn't been our primary focus right now, but it's already been fruitful. I would say like, um, especially when you kind of put up more like think PC type things yeah. about like, a yeah. uh, you know, like you're thinking about a game, you're trying to deconstruct it, or like there's some game design problem that you're trying to tackle. Um, especially in posting that like in different forums online, like I've, we found uh, a lot of traction on Reddit and, and other places like that. Um, that's been helpful. Um, I would say like, uh, that that we we probably that, that it's an area we could invest more in, but but you know, mm-hmm. there's only so many hours in the day <laughs> or <laughs> for, for sure. tomorrow. For sure. yeah. But we also have like our email list and stuff like that that we um, yeah. use for regular engagement as well, and you know, to keep people who are interested in our games aware of what's going on, and yeah. uh, to try to solicit people to get in touch with us and to uh, talk to us about things that they're interested in, what they're thinking about, how they think the game might be right for them, or uh, you know, just to get general input. Um, for example, we've gotten some really great input on a uh, sign from people who've contacted us um, from the deaf and ASL community uh, through that. Mm. And that's been a really nice way for us to, be able to engage with people who feel very, very passionately about those topics in particular uh, and are also like into games and want to see a game handling the topic correctly enough right. that they're willing to spend the time to you know, really work with us and answer a lot of our questions and to look at the uh, the game itself and give us their honest feedback on what we're handling uh, well and what needs improvement. Excellent. So uh, we're almost out of time. So before we go, both Hakan and Catherine, do you have one more tip maybe for new game developers that you can think of? Hakan first. Start with you. Ah, okay. Um, <laughs> my biggest tip. So... Um, I think the thing that really took me from a point of I have a game in my mind and uh, I'm going to try to make that into reality. Okay, in one month, that game is still not something that I want to show anyone. I guess I'm going to think of another idea and kind of going through that endless cycle of like idea churn that never actually gets into a forum which you can share with other people. Um, What really changed it for me was when I found a project that I felt so passionately about that I couldn't not see it come to fruition. Um, that was, and so really like really looking at the idea that you're working with and making sure it's something that, you know, no matter how desperate the day looks, no matter how tired you are, like you will feel that this is a game that needs to happen and needs to be shared with the world. Right. Uh, I think is the thing that will get you past that initial, like, slog and kind of barrier of really getting started. So uh, just investigate that until you feel really, really good and really, really passionate would be my piece of advice. Agreed. I think that's great advice. Catherine? Yeah, um, I, I echo that. I think like... No, that's not uh, right. You can't do that. <laughs> you can't I know, have I know. Your own no, no, no. I'm not, not going to cop out. I'm not cop out. But I mean, like, I feel like that it almost like games kind of have to come from like this compulsion place or like sort of to make anything in the world. It like, you just, you have to want it so badly in the world that you're willing to overcome a lot to get it there. Um, so that, that rings true with me. However, um, uh, what else would I say? I, I think that, um, the biggest thing is just to, 
just to have kind of a blind confidence and do it, <laughs> I think is the best thing that I could say. Um, like there's just a lot of like overthinking that you can do. I'm one really prone to overthinking and, um, and that can really get in the way of, of, of just making something. Um, the, uh, uh, I think like, especially if you, uh, if you are trapped by perfectionism, then, um, then like, game design, um, as a, you know, as a pursuit is something that is, uh, that, that can be really hard, but, um, because you really need to put it out in front of people and it's not something that you can just do in an armchair and really have it be played and enjoyed in the world in the way that you'd want it to be. Um, that like, you really have to fight against, uh, your inner perfectionists, like follow it to, to the best game that's possible, but just like iterate, iterate, iterate. And, uh, and I think in the end, um, just doggedly pursuing it until, uh, until yeah. you get it out there. Oh yeah. No, I, I completely echo that sentiment. I think perfectionism has stopped more wonderful games from being part of this world than probably any other personality trait. Yep. Um, <laughs> You're right. Um, okay. Well, those are both great pieces of advice. So I think that's going to do it for this episode. Thank you both for coming on the show. Thank you. Thank you. And see you at Gen Con. Yeah. Oh, Uh let's talk about that for a second. So we are all (laughs) three of us, industry insiders uh, and featured presenters. So it's exciting. So everyone who's listening, all, all the huge audience out there, um, please, uh, yeah, show up, uh, feel free to contact us and let us know if you're going to be there. Cause uh, I'd love to meet, Mm -hmm. meet fans. I'd love to uh, you know, connect with people. So, I'll also be GMing at the Indie Games On Demand uh, panel that's going on there. Um, cool. And we'll likely be running Dialect, probably. So, um, yep. um, I will be there, too. So mm-hmm. awesome. it be great to meet folks. And also uh, to hang out with you, too, Zach. Oh, yeah. Well, I, we have to get yeah. a game in sometime. Uh, it's been promised. So Totally. I it's been challenged even yep. better. <laughs> <laughs> I would definitely show up for that. Um, and, yeah, I'm doing a ton of panels. There's both special industry insider panels, and then there's my other panels. There's some game legal ones, and then I have ones about running Kickstarter and uh, starting a company and, and publishing games. So uh, go to my blog. I'm going to, I'm going to pitch my blog first. <laughs> Usually I don't do that, but go to gamelurblog.com and there is a, actually a post up there now that will, uh, that, that gives you all my panels that I'm doing. Uh, how about you two? Uh, where would they find information about you? Um, they can find us at thornygames.com. Great. Yep. That's it. Twitter, nothing. What do you have for? Uh, they can totally, totally look look me up on Twitter. Um, okay. uh, I'm Catherine Himes on Twitter um, okay. at Chikula Shaw. But um, but thornygames.com is really the uh, right, the central the home on the internet. Got yes. it. All right, that is, great. That is our hub. Awesome. So uh, I will see you all next month. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, right. Great talking to you, Zach. All right. Bye. 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 Bye.